Welcome to the Draw Shops Get Genius Podcast, where we talk to today's business influencers to pick their brain and pull out their genius. It's time to get genius. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another Get Genius episode. Today, my guest is Jarl Jensen, and we have a very fascinating, um, eye-opening interview going on today. It's it's pretty great. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about him because we touch on it in the interview. So um, I, I want to give you a little background so that you know what we're talking about. Um, so Jarl actually um, had this great game with his father that he talks about called the invention game. And his um, father was an engineer and an inventor who held many patents. And when Jarl was only 16 years old, he became a contributor to a successful patent along with his father. And this was um, a medical device. And this medical device led to the launch of a wound care company called Euromed, which we will be talking about in the interview. So after college, that was when Jarl started working at Euromed and um, he was mixing adhesive. And I believe he's an engineer himself. So this ended up leading to even more patent filings. Now, eventually, Jarl's, uh, Jarl's father became the owner of this company, and then he would, got sick, he passed away, and then Jarl was the one to help revive it. So this company started from zero, and Jarl took that company to making a profit in about six months. He began in the research and development uh, department, and he redesigned product lines, and he was one to discover that he could lower costs by 50 to 60%. And he made that product one of the most advanced products in that industry at that time. These innovations then led to new product launches and more patents. The business then grew from six to eight figures in just a few years. And then in 2004, Jarl took over the company as CEO, growing Euromed to $20 million in revenue. And then in 2016, he sold it for 17 times earnings to a publicly traded company. So talk about being a rock star. Um, we will we'll talk about those things and what he attributes the success and growth of that company. Um, some really great uh, tips in terms of building a business, and um, then the conversation shifts, and this is what's pretty cool. Um, after he sold that company, he then kind of had a, a new, per, not a new perspective, but he realized that there's something he's passionate about that he wanted to um, devote his time to. And he's now currently giving back and addressing what um, to him is the most important issue of our time and probably to many of us, even if we're, we're not looking at it that way. And that is um, our economy. And as, as he sees it as a very dysfunctional economy and, and the passion lies in that he's got two children. Many of us have children, we're entrepreneurs, and um, we do have that concern of what are they going to do? What's the economy going to be like? What's the world going to be like as they enter the job world and just the world of being an adult? And so we talk a lot about that and talk about his book, which um, is so great. I so appreciate the fact that it's a book that is a story that addresses 
all of his concerns with the economy. We talk about, you know, ideas and solutions that he has and believes will solve the world's greatest problems um, in, in terms of the economy. So there's there's so much so many cool takeaways, so much to listen to here. And it, there definitely wasn't enough time. And I know that there's more that you can learn. So, um, listen to the interview. You'll find out where you can read his blog posts, where he very simply talks about what's going on in the economy. So many people get overwhelmed because it might not be your area of expertise. And so when it comes to, certain things in life. Um, if it's something that we, uh, don't pay attention to every single day, we might just plainly avoid it just because it's, it's not top of mind for us. But, um, when it is something that you can easily understand, you start to pay more attention because you can, you can understand it and, and you can start to see what possible solutions might be. And therefore you start to want to become part of a movement. So that's the goal here for, um, Jarl. So you'll, you'll definitely have to check out his book and, and the blog. Um, and with that, I will let you listen to the interview. Thanks for listening. Hello, Jarl. And thank you so much for speaking with me today and sharing all of your total genius with our, with our listeners. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you today because you have so much to share in terms of, of business. And also just, there's some really cool, um, projects that you're working on now and you have this great passion for, for the world and children and all kinds of great things that I'm excited for our listeners to hear. So before we get into all of that, um, Thank you for being here. And I'd love if you can give kind of a, um, a little intro for yourself and, and what brought you to where you are today and doing the work that you are doing. Hi, Summer. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, <clears throat> well, I think to, to get off to uh, a good start here, I, I'd like to talk about the key to uh, great ideas and problem solving. Uh, and in my experience, it's all about noticing the quirky details. So uh, having ideas that are going to be different and, uh, uh, and are going to lead to breakthroughs, you need to really be hands-on uh, working on things that um, the things that are in your business uh, that are, are high value. And you really need to pay attention to those quirky details so you can use them uh, for added value and making a, a difference. Um, so uh, again, my name is Jarl Jensen, and uh, I grew up uh, living with ideas. My father, at a very early age, uh, played. We played a game together called um, the Invention Game, and uh, we had an old garage. This is a game you made up together. Yeah, oh, we, awesome. we together, and we. My father, what he would do, he was an inventor himself, uh, a very successful guy. Um, but, uh, he would pick out a uh, strange things that would, that were lying around in an old garage. And the, uh, the point of the game was to, uh, come up with different, uh, uses for whatever we, uh, we picked out and, uh, we would trade ideas and whoever had the last idea w- would win the game. Uh, and, and, uh, that really set me uh, up to sort of, uh, hone my idea, skills and uh develop this knack for finding uses uh alternative uses for for different objects and so on uh and so i really uh i consider myself today an idea guy and i've studied innovation and ideation 
um, and the differences and so on. And I think it's had a lot to do with uh, uh, success in my business. And uh, and it definitely has a lot to do with what I do today, which is I'm, I'm involved with uh, a couple of startups and, um, and I also wrote a book. Awesome. And we're going to talk all about that book um, a little bit later on and tell you all how to get that book. Um, but let's, let's talk about inventing and innovation and the difference between the two. Well, so innovation to me is really about better, faster, cheaper. It's about your core capabilities in business and figuring out how to do those things better, uh, to either make more money by making the product, uh, cheaper to make, uh, offering a better service or a better product by adding features and benefits. Um, and, and so that's innovation to me. It's, it's a very specific kind of problem solving. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas invention is really about sorting through good and bad ideas or nurturing a good idea into a great idea. Uh, and so you know, I think this is a very important difference uh, between innovation and invention, and yet the two are often used interchangeably, and they yeah. really. Uh, so, in business, if uh, I could give uh, some some value or recommendations to business owners and and people uh, in leadership positions in business, it is to be very careful not to mix the two together. Uh, a, a solid business uh, that is out of the startup phase should really be focusing on innovation uh, and not invention. And I, I could point to, uh, you know, um, I could point to uh, Steve Jobs as the way he uh, was innovative the business is innovative, but Steve Jobs was inventive. And when he did uh, do his invention work at Apple, it was always in these small teams outside of the day-to-day -day business of Apple. And we can see say, see the same uh, with Elon Musk, right? He has, he has Tesla, he has SpaceX, he has the Boring Company. He separates invention from the innovation needed inside these businesses. And the challenge is, is that a great business has to be inventive nowadays. It's, it's the ticket to the ball game. If you're not inventive, I'm sorry, if you're not innovative as a business, you're not going to be along very, you're not going to be around very long because the competition will catch up and surpass you. Right. As a leader, uh, or in a startup mode, it has to be all about ideation and invention. But in a, an established business, uh, really, it is almost like oil and water trying to be have an established business be inventive. Uh, the two really don't mix. Uh, I really recommend that if if a, if your company has gotten to a point where it's so well established that innovation is hard to find. Uh, you know, the improvements in the process are really, you know, it's really lean. It's really efficient. 
your price is as good as you can get. There's not a whole lot of added uh, value features to um, uh, benefits to add to the product. Then as a leader, uh, I would recommend starting a satellite company, much like, like Elon Musk does, to create an opportunity to invent new opportunities. But I, I don't recommend for established businesses to mix the two together because they really they're kind of like oil and water. They don't go well together. And this is why you you find, you know, these large businesses having such trouble being inventive. Uh, and, and unfortunately for a lot of them, it's even hard to be innovative because they have pushed the envelope of the, their products uh, so far ahead that it's just difficult to get make things, you know, better, faster, cheaper. They've sort of reached that critical um, end game point where they are what they are. Um, so that's sort of my 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 life life lessons for uh, around innovation and uh, invention in in terms of business. You have you have tremendous experience here. Um, I in in the intro I, I told our listeners about Euromed and you know what you did with that company. I mean, essentially taking it from zero. Um, making profit within six months and then growing and growing and growing until it became, you know, a $20 million company. And then you sold it for 17 times, 17 times earnings, um, to a publicly traded company. So I would, you know, for, for me, for our listeners, that's phenomenal. You know, I mean, every, obviously every company starts from, from zero and, even the big, you know, the huge companies that, that we see today, there's certain skills that, that get that company from there up to 20 million and, and plus, um, there's obviously skills just to get it to a hundred thousand, 200,000. Can you, you know, as we're, as we're talking about, cause I think this is so key invention, innovation, all of that, you, you've got to be, you've, you've got to keep doing those things in order to, to stay at the top. What, what lessons did you learn? What were some of the things that you did that were key into building that business and then making it a business that was, um, you know, desirable to, to purchase? Well, um, Euromed has played a, a very large and uh, uh, long period of time in my life. Uh, um, so, uh, and there's so many lessons, uh, but I, I can say uh, that I think there's some, you know, some things that really stick out as to what really made it work. Um, so, uh, in, uh, in, uh, when I got out of college, I immediately started working as a, a technician on, um, mixing, uh, formulations for wound care and so on. Um, and, uh, I, at around uh, about a couple years later, four years later, 1996, um, my father uh, passed away after having uh, acquired uh, uh, half of a Euromed, really just the patent rights and um, some machine drawings. And um, he had also purchased a building, uh, which was uh, an old uh, under foreclosure uh, building, and uh, my my uh, my they had, my family or my uh, mother uh, and father had 
put in quite a bit of money, at least for us at that time. And unfortunately, my father passed away, throwing me directly into the business. And, um, you know, we had to make it work. We had uh, we had did have some back orders at the time. uh, But basically, I did the, you know, just out of sheer, you know, need to make it happen. Uh, we turned this old foreclosed building into a uh, class one clean room manufacturing facility, uh, built uh, the machines from drawings. Uh, this was a laminator extruder uh, uh, extruding process that uh, made wound dressings uh, and other medical devices. Um, and all out of just the need to uh, succeed, uh, made that happen, uh, ship product. All within about from my from my dad dying to um, really acquiring the building and everything else, all within six months. Uh, it was a uh, very uh, stressful, unbelievable. You know, staying up all night, uh, just making things happen, making the first shipments go out the door. I remember, you know, sl- basically sleeping at the factory just to make all that happen. <laughs> yeah. It's just an uh, unbelievable thing. But the thing that sticks out for me, because it was a family business that really, really, really made a difference, was uh, I ha- we ha- well, hired a, an artist to draw a, uh, or paint a portrait of my father, and we hung that on the wall. And between my brother, sister, me, and my mother— uh, that portrait, rep, you know, represented my father and and uh, what his decisions were to, around this company, and, and what that did is just all the issues that every family has disappeared with that portrait on the wall because we were aligned in in making my dad's uh, you know dreams successful or come true, and that I think is the key to making these startups work. And I also think if uh, any of your listeners are in a family business, this is an, this is an underrated advantage that multi-generational family businesses can use is the legacy of who came before them, the family members that came before them Mm -hmm. or even that are retired uh, is to respect and honor them in the work that they do every day. There, I, I can't see a family business failing if that's done. Right. Oh, I think that's that, that's so true, and it's so in, important. Um, what What are some other, you know, in terms of building a business? And I love, I love, you know, the whole company being aligned with with that vision. What are some other things that you can attribute to the growth of that company? Well, um, when we started up, um, we really had, uh, you know, we had, a, we had a back order that we needed to start fulfilling. Uh, so we did have some work to do that got us going, but you know, the product lines were unprofitable. Uh, they were very expensive to make. And, um, I immediately went from the, you know, playing the role of a general contractor to install the clean room and, and get the facilities up and running. Uh, and I guess I'm a, a mechanic as well to put the machines together. But uh, I immediately went into the uh, to a lab that I also built for myself. And I started using my experience in uh, formulating uh, wound care dressings to uh, redesign uh, the product lines. 
And um, again, it's just an incredible, innovative period that only happened, I would say, in 98 and 99, where uh, we lowered the cost of our primary wound care product line by 50% while improving the the, um, product performance to being, I would say, top in class at that time. and 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 taking uh, that same um, let's call it formula and applying it to a first aid product, and and with those two uh, th- those two designs, that really led to an unbelievable growth. Uh, we had, um, uh, you know, we went from basically like you said, almost zero in sales uh, back in '96 to a uh, million and a half in '98. You know, two million ninety-nine, and we just took off from there, hitting ten million by uh, 2004. Uh, so, understanding, uh, you know, having built the machine, mixed uh, the adhesives, really uh, looking at the 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 bill of materials and understanding where the price problems were and why the costs were so high. Uh, redesigning the product, uh, taking out all the costs. It's, it was all about uh, design uh, research uh, and uh, figuring out how to do it better, faster, cheaper, true innovation in those beginning stages. And how were you learning as a businessman now? Now, now you're the CEO of this company. How do you, where, where do you get your, you know, inspiration, education, support, did you have a mentor? Did you have groups that you worked with? How how did you know to do these things? Well, I, I mean, I, I do have a, a mechanical engineering experience. Uh, sorry, education. Um, and uh, but in terms of business and like knowing, okay, this is what these are the the steps that we need to take in order to really grow this business. Well. I, I did. I uh, have been, and I do recommend. Uh, if there are business owners out there, I do recommend the entrepreneurial organization EO. Mm-hmm. I also recommend uh, for uh, people out there with uh, a bigger businesses, uh, fifteen million dollars in sales or more. Uh, YPO, the Young Presidents Organization. I spoke well, at one of their events. Yeah, they're fantastic. Th- this is a great place to. Uh, uh, hone your business skills to uh, get be challenged about what your decision making process is. They have something called a forum where you sit with other uh, business leaders and you discuss the problems you have in your business. Mm-hmm. For me, this was uh, an incredible evolution in in terms of uh, who I am and and what I I think I can do. Yeah, it's it's so incredible. And it's amazing how somebody else will see a solution that you, that, that can be pretty, very simple and actionable, but because you're wrapped up in your business, you're not seeing it from that perspective. So I, I totally agree with, with that. Well, I'm, I was hoping to hear that because, you know, I'm, <laughs> um, I'm somebody who definitely relies on, on the support of people like that and, and networking groups that my business partner and I are, are a part of. Um, okay. So now after 2016, what was it that inspired you to start addressing our economy? And, and you have a very strong viewpoint on this and I love for you to share that with the audience and, and just why it is that this became so important to you that you wrote a book about it. 
Well, my primary concern really is for my, my kids. Um, I see innovation uh, having a, a dark side, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, better, faster, cheaper means automation and, and replacing uh, I- employees with um, machines. Um, uh, I know the drive in business to do that because as a leader, um, I had to do it in order to uh, maintain a, a, the competitive pricing and so on. It's inherent for our economy uh, to succeed in business, to be able to lower prices. And often the easiest way to do that is by um, replacing people with uh, automation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I see this. Uh, very broadly throughout the economy, I see, um, you know, large swaths of people, jobs being replaced by technology. Uh, and, um, I'm really concerned with, uh, my kids are now eight and 10. I'm concerned with, you know, what are they facing? And, um, I think millennials today, this, they are the first generation who are really dealing with this, employment, um, a jobs market that is not really built for them, right? It's, uh, you know, without, uh, without a, a college education, a bachelor's degree minimum and a significant experience, you really aren't of much value in, in the, in the job market. And so the whole prospect of them raising families is just a distant, Future. I mean, that already is true for my generation. Most of uh, the people that I went to school with, they didn't start families until they were into their 30s. Yeah. Um, everybody's starting life later, and it's not getting better. It's getting worse. And I think automation is a big part of that. Um, and so it, it and, and then when we had the recession in, in 2008, and we saw this quantitative easing, bailing out the banks, it really made me wonder, and I really paid close attention to what the economists were saying, what the Federal Reserve did, what the government did. And it was clear, bail, bail out the commercial banks and, uh, you know, don't worry about the people. And it really made me wonder, what's going on? How come this is the way it is? And, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be this way. Everybody, you know, they have really done a great job of obfuscating economics to a point where nobody's interested in it, right? Everybody hears the word economics and they go, let's talk about baseball. Uh, Yet, if you think about it, if uh, you and your husband uh, decided to move out into the woods and have no contact with civilization, well, you'd probably want to know what kind of shelter you're going to have. Right. Um, where are you going to get water from? What about food? How are you going to eat? You know, the basics of the ecosystem you would have out there in the wilderness. Economics is the ecosystem we live in right here. It is how much you pay for your house. It's how much you get paid at work. It's how much you pay for your food. And if you're not interested in that, well, then that's like moving out into the woods, not knowing where you're going to live. Are you going to live in a mud house uh, or uh, where are you going to find the food? How are you going to fish? What, what are you going to do to survive? You would never do that. Yet people today go through their life not really understanding economics. They might understand their personal economics, but they don't understand the economics of our society. And that is my goal here with my book 
is in a simple storytelling format, educate people about the economics of our society and why it's failing today. Right. What are some of those things? And well, first I want to ask, why do you think it is that people are kind of in the dark (laughs) about these things? Well, you know, it's easy to to sound conspiratorial, Mm -hmm. but commercial banks own and run the Federal Reserve, and there are obvious conflicts of interest between the public and the commercial banks. And since the commercial banks write the monetary policy and execute the monetary policy, that's going to be conflicting with the public. And that's exactly what we saw in 2008 when quantitative easing and TARP money bailed out the commercial banks and left the citizens hanging and figuring out the phone themselves, right? Fending for themselves and solving their own problems. Um, a, A great analogy that tells you that, you know, that really makes you scratch your head and say, what, how does this, how is this possible? Let me, let me give you a story here. And that is, um, uh, so God comes down from up above and it could be whatever God you like or whichever one you want to choose. And he, he, uh, he blesses, he says, I'm going to bless the world with 10 years free of illness and death. So no, nobody gets sick or, or, or dies for 10 years. Uh, and before he grants the wish, a couple of doctors say, well, hold on a second, um, uh, God, um, if you do that, um, 20% of our economy, or probably a lot more than 20% of our economy will collapse and we will go without work and people will starve and you're going to create a lot more harm than good. So, well, you know, God scratches his head and he goes, well, um, well, maybe I should make people ill so you'll have more jobs so more people will eat. And and the doctors go, no, no, no. Why don't you just help us with um, uh, making our uh, a better medicine for uh, for us? On the doctor, um, God says, uh, well, okay, I will bless you with a vaccine for cancer. Um, simply take this holy water and inject it into uh, uh, everybody and they will never get cancer and they'll be cured of cancer if they do have it. Well, the cancer doctor says, hold on, hold on a second, God, Uh, that might not be a good idea either. And so on and so on it went that God could never really bless us with anything because it winds up economically hurting us, even though you would think that a cure for everything that ails us would be a very, very good thing for us. So in that story, you know, the, um, the moral of the story is that if we can't improve something so significantly because it winds up hurting us economically, there, there is, you know, something to learn from that, right? And that is that uh, efficiency uh, in our system uh, actually winds up removing jobs and uh, winds up hurting us. And so is the story with automation and so on. Um, and uh, and that's part of the problem. So in terms of uh, millennials today, right, it isn't that there aren't jobs out there. It's the problem is there isn't enough jobs out there. 
And so why is, is, is that um, unusual? Well, it's unusual because there's an infinite amount of work, right? I mean, you look outside, there's you know, garbage on the street, there's people who need help with this thing or that thing. But, what's pre- but what isn't there is the opportunity to have that work that needs to be done actually be in the form of a job. So one of the um, ideas that uh, I, I, I think is, is core to solving our economic problems is... Good. I was just, just going to ask this. <laughs> right. So the idea is we need to create more opportunities for jobs to be created. Because if there's infinite amount of work to be done, well, then there should be an infinite amount of opportunities to take on a job to do that work. But because our economy is so restricted by the fact that only money is printed to support commercial loans, that we get a very restrictive amount, numbers of opportunities. We only have work that is created towards paying back a loan. So we need to be able to create work to do other things than paying back loans. And I have uh, created many blogs about this that you could look up on Optimizing America to learn more about. Yeah, and we'll uh, have a link to that too. I was going to ask you about your blog, but please so continue. He, I want to hear the ideas. <laughs> well, so it's the, it really you have to you have to understand that the economy is built up uh, from what is called monetary policy. Monetary policy is what the Federal Reserve does in order to run the economy. And within that policy are restrictions on our economy for the sole purpose of having the commercial banks have the greatest opportunity possible to make loans. Basically, money is only printed to support a loan. And that is very restrictive on the economy. It limits the number of opportunities for work. So now if we didn't have the commercial banks writing and executing our monetary policy, we could run our economy to optimize our opportunities as opposed to optimizing loans. So what does that mean? That means you can simply distribute small amounts of money to everybody. So instead of having, for example, Instead of having 60,000 homeless people in New York City uh, and having New York City spend billions of dollars a year uh, feeding and sheltering these people, uh, if they were having a small bit of money every day uh, sent directly from the Federal Reserve, not the government, mind you, the Federal Reserve, the place where they print the money, they take that printed money and give it directly, small amounts, Three, four, five dollars, um, and it could be much more, uh, greater than that. But that gets a little bit more complicated. How you actually calculate the exact amount of money that every person could get? But for right now, for this story, let's say that every one of these uh, homeless people received uh, a small four dollars a day. Mm-hmm. Well, these four people, I'm sorry, these four dollars. It's sixty thousand people in New York City now could spend, you know, two dollars a night on a shelter. And they could spend another $2 on food, or maybe it could be five or six. It probably would be a little bit more. Um, what does this do? That Well, this means McDonald's has to make 60,000 more hamburgers every night or some other uh, uh, restaurant or uh, 
maybe a, a soup kitchen could be paid to actually make their soup for 50 cents or, or, or whatever. Uh, and the point is, is that the opportunities now created from these 60,000 homeless people means jobs. It means jobs for those homeless people because they could probably get a job servicing the people for that little bit amount of money. Now, so what happens? What is the cost of distributing freshly printed money directly to people? What is the cost of that? Well, the cost is that to loan money in order to balance and prevent inflation from going out of control, in order to balance the new demand direct uh, uh, created from the new money given directly to people, that has to be offset by higher interest rates on loans. And what does that do? That means fewer loans are going to be made, creating a smaller demand from wealthy people. But the point is that the economy would rebalance people, wealthy people for the most part, would have to pay more money for their mortgages and loans so that poor people could spend money on shelter, food, whatever else they need. This is a very simple solution, to, and to me it's very obvious, and it creates huge benefits, both for lowering the cost of government in terms of uh, welfare services, mm -hmm. and it also solves this problem of uh, if you are, are following uh, what the central banks are doing around the world, that Japan is currently offering negative interest rates on some of their loans. It's so crazy. I don't even get it, but yes. <laughs> Well, it tells you, it's, think about it. You're getting paid to, somebody's getting paid for borrowing money. Right. And in, in Europe, there are Spanish companies, uh, and maybe there's more uh, in other places, other countries, but they, they are paying a Spanish company for taking a loan. Yeah. Now, who, who the heck would, would refuse a loan like that? And exactly. Notice, and, but notice this, and this is really the core reason why we have such great uh, such a great wealth gap and that is the federal reserve has one customer one type of customer right it's wealthy people if you don't have assets if you don't have wealth of some form you don't have the ability to leverage those assets to get a loan right, right? yeah poor people don't get any benefits from our whole economic system and so they're left out and so this um analogy uh, or story I, I just went through there, logic, I would hope to call it actually, was actually spread around the world. This sort of fundamental economic structure has been spread throughout the world. And so America's core fundamental economic problem has then been spread around the world to Africa, to Europe, to Asia. And, and, and so the whole world is caught up in this uh, dire economic situation. Um, we live in a in a debt driven economy. The United States has seventy four trillion dollars in total debt. Twenty one trillion of those is the government, and the rest is corporate and personal debt. Seventy four trillion dollars. That's a massive number. Globally, though, all nations combined, the total debt is two hundred and forty four trillion dollars, and growing and growing incredibly fast. Now, you know, what is a trillion dollars? It's uh, literally a, a football field uh, stacked with $100 bills, uh, uh, basically a 12 feet high. 
hundred full football field, uh, you know, 12 feet high. It's a tremendous amount of money, but we're talking about $244 trillion. So what does that mean? It, it means that the jobs we are seeing today are basically borrowed jobs from the future, especially when we're talking about government debt, right? Uh, you know, our $21 trillion uh, national debt, that's not going to, they don't even have a plan to pay it off. They're, they're just hoping, hoping to sustain it or, 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 or maintain it at a, at a reasonable level. There, there's no plans of paying it off. And we can get into, you know, at least on my blog site, you, I get into uh, other explanations about why trade debt is really uh, a consequence of the national debt um, and, um, you know, people can go to, I have a lot of different perspectives on, on what the real problems are. And, um, I'm really just trying to get the message out there that there is a much better way. Uh, I mean, well, before I keep going, I'll, I'll let you, uh, lead the way. I'm, I just went to your, um, I'm just looking at the blog and, um, you guys have to check this out. There's so many great things. Your latest blog post, um, uh, on, is on Westworld, <laughs> which is, that's a, that's a show that I'm hooked on. Um, very, I'm totally going to dive into all of this. This is so, so fascinating. Um, and in your book, can you tell, you know, obviously you're going to have some incredible ideas, um, you know, in how we can solve these problems, but unless somebody actually acts on those ideas, right? It's, it's so I guess my question is, what is your goal within the next, you know, one to five years with, with this book and, and how, how, how can you help get these ideas to fruition? Well, actually the book optimizing America is actually a story about a presidential candidate, um, who wrote a book and the book's catches on with the masses and it basically leads him to the decision to run for president. But he runs for president on this uh, economic uh, story or, or messaging around how the Federal Reserve needs to be redesigned in order uh, for the economy to be fixed. Uh, and through this uh, campaign, the idea basically gets um, sort of, uh, um, tested it by, you know, Republicans and it gets tested by the tea party and it gets tested by, you know, uh, left wing, um, liberal ideas and, and so on. And what's great about this idea is that it really appeals to, uh, deficit hawks, right? It appeals to, uh, um, peace-loving uh, people uh, because, you know, it gets into the military-industrial complex. And why, because military-industrial complex really creates jobs in almost every single state, it has, it's, it's got this, only in America, this self-perpetuating uh, investment in the military because every senator is encouraged to pass that military spending. Why? Because it benefits his own state. Right. It jobs in his own state. It's the military industrial complex. And so when George Bush 
It's, uh, you know, somebody tells George Bush that there's uh, weapons of mass destruction, and he has this massive, you know, military uh, power at his, you know, fingertips. You know, pulling that trigger becomes maybe a little too easy. And going to war is just a little too easy uh, for America. And why is that? That's because of the military industrial complex. So anyway, I get in, in the book gets tested, test this idea in many different ways through a, a, you know, a storytelling, um, unique storytelling, political thriller type uh, uh, book. And um, I, I think people should read it. And this is one of the ways I'm hoping to get the message out. This book and also uh, my blog site, getting these ideas out there as fast as possible. Um, as a counterweight uh, to uh, what this idea is, is perhaps what people have heard of is basic income or universal basic income. And I recently wrote a post about it, how it's just untenable. You, there's just no way our government can afford paying, you know, 300 million people $12,000 a year, that's about $4 trillion of new debt. So that's this is an untenable idea. There's, and it's sort of, um, its foundation is, is poor, right? The idea is to create an income for everybody. No, the idea really should be to create opportunities for everybody, right? Because the idea is if you work hard, you get paid more, and you can go to that trip to Nova Scotia, or you can buy that sports car because you worked hard and you earned it. The, the merit incentive needs to be part of our culture or part of our society or things really start getting weird. Yeah. Um, and so basic income is, in, to me, is a really bad idea. And I wrote about that on my blog. And uh, it's to people who are listening who um, are believers in basic income, you need to take the idea, need to read my book and help me take the idea to the next level, which is redesigning the Federal Reserve. It's what happens when you, you um, redesign the Federal Reserve, you start engineering the economy. You can actually optimize the economy. Hence the uh, name of the book, Optimizing America. You can actually optimize the America by controlling the inputs to the economy. You can you can maximize jobs much more effectively. You what, can per- Go ahead. I was going to say, what would you like, you know, after we're going to, um, we'll have, and I'll tell you right now, we're also going to have a link to this, but it's optimizingamerica.com. And that's where you'll find the blog. And that's also where you can um get the book. Um, but what is, what is that, you know, if there's one thing that a reader did after reading your book, what would that one thing be? If you, if you could ask them. Hey, follow my newsletter. I mean, I'm trying to get people to get it right. And, 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 and stay connected. We need to form a movement. Uh, we need to get this, off the ground. We need to stop the nonsense. Uh, I'm going to continue to blog. I'm going to continue to write about, I have a lot more to say. I have a lot more ideas about this. We can really end the suffering. I mean, literally end poverty. Now we could, we could start creating peace on earth. Now, once we understand the inputs to these things, we can understand the solution. And once we understand the solution, we know what to ask for. We know, we know what change to ask for. Uh-huh. 
Wow. Super. So incredibly fascinating. I love that you, you wrote the book as, as a story, which is my favorite way to be uh, inspired and motivated. (laughs) Um, By the way, I am almost uh, done getting uh, it uh, made into an audible book. So if people, um, I bet your people who listen to podcasts don't read much books, but they love reading or getting books read to them. So it's going to be available soon as well. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Uh, one more, one more uh, prop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that is, I'm also I put in some of the the core logic into a free book because I really want to get the message out there. So if you go to my website, I, I wrote a, a a short booklet. I call it. It's called um, "Hacking the American Economy," basically explaining how the economy is engineerable and it could be engineered for the. Uh, for the standard for our standard of living for everybody, and I think this is a, a a must read for everybody who wants to make a better future for everybody. Fantastic! Oh my gosh, I love it. Um, so again, that's optimize America, dot Um, we will also have, uh, if it's okay with you, Yara, we'll have all of your, um, your Facebook information, your Twitter information. Are you open to receiving emails? If, if anyone wants to reach out? Yeah. Um, I have, a, a well, who doesn't have several different emails? Yeah. Nowadays? <laughs> the connect at, uh, optimizing Um, I, I get those. Okay, perfect. Um, definitely you've got to check out, check out the blog the book, um, the, the blogs are awesome. <laughs> and I've, I've just skimmed through some of them as we're talking, just the, the topics alone. Um, I, you, you've definitely opened up my eyes to things that I hadn't even been thinking about. So thank you for that. Um, we will have links to all of this, uh, your contact information, your social media, all the good things. Um, thank you so much, Yarl. This has been so cool. Great. Let's uh, make something happen. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to today's Get Genius. You can learn more about The Draw Shop at www.thedrawshop.com. On Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. You're home for kick-butt custom whiteboard marketing videos. Your ideas come to life. Thanks for listening. Please share, comment, and make any suggestions for future genius guests.